Hello, welcome to World War II, The Key Questions, answered by me, Lawrence Rees. I specialised in writing books and making television documentaries about World War II, the Third Reich and Stalinism for many years, and my latest book, Hitler and Stalin, The Tyrants and the Second World War, has recently been published here in the UK and in America. In this podcast, Talking to My Daughter Camilla, I try and answer the key question, why did Hitler hate the Jews? So today we've got quite a simple question, but one that I know has a very complex answer. Why did Hitler hate the Jews? You're right. It's a, it isn't a question you can answer in a, in a sentence or two. I think a good way of approaching it to start with is to try and separate out a few things. The first is to say that anti-Semitism has been around an awfully long time. There's also been this long history of conflict between Judaism and Christianity, and often that was built around social and economic relationships between Jews, that the Jewish population was seen as, as separate, very much seen as the other by Christians, and against this background, as I say, of Christian-based anti-Semitism. And there was quite a number of instances, as we all know, of persecution against Jews. And so this was a very much historic conflict. Come the Enlightenment in the late 17th and 18th centuries, many countries actually in Europe had more liberal approaches towards Jews and how they should live and how they could live rather. But actually in some countries that caused something of uh, an upsurge in anti-Semitism in some quarters because there was a sense that Jews were getting above themselves, that they were now given a series of freedoms they hadn't had before. And so that caused problems. In, in, the, Hit, in the Vienna that Hitler grew up in, the turn of the 20th century, there was a very strong anti-Semitic movement that you could see there and there were Jews flourishing there was a very Jews flourishing inside Vienna and there was a great deal of in some quarters again jealousy and envy of them so there's all this going on and you can see that the, the Jews were victims of prejudice they were victims of scapegoating because they were different and unfortunately as you look at the whole history of humanity you can see a number of cases where people are targeted for just those just those kind of reasons and it's still going on today unfortunately that's the background to what Hitler is proselytizing. But actually, what he's doing is fundamentally different in his approach to the Jews. And I think that's often forgotten. So does that mean that his hatred of the Jews was, it was different from that traditional anti-Semitism? And how was it different? Well, it kind of, it piggybacked off that traditional anti-Semitism. That was of great use to him. But his was different because as he saw it, his anti-Semitism was much less religious-based as racially-based. Key thing to understand about anti-Semitism as practiced in what you might call traditional Christian-based anti-Semitism. What you've got to understand about that is it was possible for Jews to escape persecution by converting to the Christian faith. Once they converted, they ceased to be the problem because they were no longer practicing the Jewish religion. For Hitler, it is immaterial in theory, crucially in theory, it's immaterial whether Jews are practicing Judaism. He sees the Jews as a race. He sees it as being the question, a fundamental question of blood in your veins. And this is something that you see recurring right the way through the persecution of the Jews from the Nazis. They talk about Jewish blood. And actually, you get this hypocrisy built into their own hatred, which is that when it comes to finally identifying who's a Jew and who isn't, they actually 
though they call the Jews a race, have no racial test of it at all. What they have to do is to look at the number of grandparents you have who practice the Jewish religion. That's how they're actually going to identify. So it's a traditional, it's a, it's a test based on the practice of the Jewish religion at the same time as they're saying they believe that the Jews are guilty because of their blood. Where that matters hugely if you're Jewish, massively if you're Jewish, it means that there's nothing you can do about this. It's no good saying, okay, I might be prepared to turn my back on the Jewish religion. It, it doesn't matter to the Nazis. If you, seeing the Jews as a race, makes every single person who they target vulnerable and there's nothing they can do about it. And so where did Hitler get these ideas from? I mean, it sounds like the societies, you know, that he would have been brought up in were fairly anti-Semitic, but did he come up with the rest of it himself or how did that work? No, he, he didn't. He adapted this from a whole host of writers who'd, who'd gone before and thinkers who'd gone before. And you've got to remember that racist views weren't unusual at the time. The idea that certain races were superior to others merely by virtue of their colour of skin or, or racial origin had been around for a while by this point. And coupled with this, this sense that pseudo-Darwinian ideas that who you were born to, your racial heritage mattered a, great, mattered a very great deal in terms of trying to assess your worth as a human being. And though Hitler saw the Jews as a particular danger. He also saw anybody who didn't fit the ideal perception of how a true German should be was also vulnerable. What that meant in, what that meant in practice was that if you were uh, severely disabled, if you had mental problems, you were going to be vulnerable. So was his treatment or feeling towards the Jews very different to the hatred that he also had for other groups, as you mentioned. He absolutely saw the Jews as the core opponent. And he saw that really from the very beginning. You see that he first writes about his, one of the very first political statements he ever makes is in September 1919, when he writes in a letter that the Jews are a threat, as he sees it, and that they are a, a threat in biological terms. This, So you see from the very beginning of his political career that he sees the Jews as this kind of biological threat and he believes he writes in you know he writes that that the Jews should be removed does that mean that he's thinking of the holocaust no i think well we can't know what's in his innermost deepest recesses of his innermost heart we can't know what he's he's thinking so he's not actually he's not saying to his colleagues openly that he wants to see the extermination of the Jews at this point at all he's what he's talking about and what Nazi policy is embryonically en route to is denial of citizenship for Jews, removal of Jews from public life, and so on. Do you think that, I, obviously we can't know what he was kind of thinking internally at that point, um, do you think that it was likely that he was aiming to just get them out of the, the kind of the nation of Germany? Or did he want to get rid, or did he always want to get rid of them in a more permanent way than that? We can't know that. What we do know, and I think the clue to understanding really the mentality of that time, the clue is in what they're talking about seeing the Jews as responsible for. So fundamental way of understanding this, I think, is to think in terms of conspiracy theories. And it goes, I hope without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, that 
the kinds of things that they're talking about in regard the Jews are fantasies, are lies. This is one of the most horrible and corrosive things about this horrible and corrosive aspect of history. But it's that there is no sense in which the Jews are responsible for the things that they're being blamed for by the Nazis and indeed by some other some other Germans. But the key is conspiracy theory. Right the way in the 19th century, as modernization happens in Germany, and Germany is one of the m- most modernized countries, qu- modernized more quickly really than any, any other country in Europe, there's a great deal of anxiety in tr- certain traditional groups about what's happening, the growth of cities, the growth of an industrial base and so on. And the Jews begin to be a scapegoat for that. They're seen as associated with cities. They're seen as being lawyers and media magnates and responsible for the big new department stores that are opening that are putting traditional people out of traditional vendors out of business. So they become scapegoated with that. Nazis point to the fact the Jews are less than 1% of the overall population. And yet there is a disproportionate number of Jews, for example, who are lawyers in Berlin. But of course, the reason there's a disproportionate amount is because the Jews had been banned from certain other professions. But that's not mentioned in this context. It's a classic example when someone says, oh, quote the facts to me, and and they quote that as a fact, but they don't explain the background to it. So it's an example of how even even a fact can be distorted if you don't understand the, the context. So there's that, there's that background. And then you have this huge catastrophe for the Germans and for Adolf Hitler personally, which is the loss of the First World War. And the begins, as Germany is losing the war, to be this notion of what one what they call the stab in the back myth. And this is a myth, it has to be said. It's not true, but it grows, which is this sense that the Jews back in Germany are somehow responsible for the what's happening on the front line and the loss of the war, that they're somehow plotting against that they're profiting from the war they're plotting against the Germans and of course what that does if you subscribe to that myth is it absolves you of responsibility it's not my fault that I've lost the war it's not it's the secret forces behind me it's a classic conspiracy theory and we see in our own times the enormous power of conspiracy theories and so the notion of the Jews and bear in mind, as I say, less than 1% of Germans are Jews. Many Germans never came across, other Germans never came across Jews. So it becomes this kind of mythic idea and it becomes a kind of buzzword for anything you don't particularly like. If you don't like modernization, you don't like cities, you're, you're thrown out of work because of um, cheap goods being made in a factory. Oh, it's the Jews who are responsible. Oh, well, the Jews are responsible for the loss of the war. The Jews are responsible for supposedly for the emergence of democracy which is seen as a Jewish concept basically anything you don't like you can say it's the Jews it's nonsense but nonetheless it becomes an incredible kind of safety valve for people not to take responsibility for their own lives so does that mean that the majority of the population of Germany at that time believed these sorts of conspiracy theories and myths and were generally becoming increasingly anti-Semitic? It's impossible to measure latent anti-Semitism. But in terms of this as a successful election strategy, absolutely not. It is not something that is working for the Nazis particularly. In fact, there's been you know many people who I met who joined the Nazi party, and, uh, and this fits in, I think, with 
other research, the, the number of people who joined and anti-Semitism wasn't the main reason they joined. They joined because they want, they believed in the, the great new Germany of brotherhood or whatever that Hitler's promising. They're not joining because their, you know, number one concern is hatred of Jews. And equally, a number are thinking this is, oh, the traditional kind of anti-Semitism, which is we need to look at, say, the number of Jewish lawyers or whatever, that, that it's based on Jewish power and privilege. They don't, they're, not, they're not subscribing necessarily to the whole racial background to it. And this other Nazi said to me, oh, Wall Street was constantly being mentioned. It's Wall Street, this sort of invisible, kind of invisible yet powerful enemy. And the final point to make in this context, well, there's two actually. The first is to say, the Nazis in 1928 only get 2.6% of the general vote. So therefore, you can't say that as a kind of thrust belief, this is their beliefs are shared absolutely universally by any manner of means. And secondly, as I write in the Holocaust book I wrote, uh, History of the Holocaust book I wrote, I think that if you were looking at the turn of the 20th century to try and point to a country in Europe that would be responsible for this horrendous, heinous crime of the Holocaust. I don't believe you would sit down and point to Germany. You would actually look almost certainly at Russia, because in Russia, there were turn of the century, there were a series of pogroms against Jews. There were large numbers of Jews fleeing from Russia to Austria or Germany to get away from terrible anti-Semitic prejudice, persecution and attacks. So I don't think you would have pointed to Germany being particularly dangerous in this regard. So were Hitler and the Nazis campaigning in an openly anti-Semitic way? In the early 1930s, when they really start to take off in terms of numbers of votes, as I say, if you think, remember 1928, they're getting 2.6% of the vote. But in the early 1930s, when they really start to take off in those elections, Hitler never denies his absolute anti-Semitism, but it is not something that he is focusing on. I think what he understands is that there can be a core number of people who he can preach this hatred and lies to. But if he's going to expand to huge numbers of people, he has to offer something else, you know, absolutely in addition to that. And what he's what he's offering is a fresh start. He's offering a way out of the economic catastrophe that Germany finds itself in in the 1930s. He's actually promising a destruction of democracy. And this is something that's often forgotten, that in the German election of 1932, a majority of Germans in voting either for the Communist Party or for the Nazi Party are knowingly voting for parties that are going to get rid of democracy. So when someone says to you, oh, once democracy democracy has been established in the country, it's never, you know, people aren't going to knowingly vote it away. Well, just point to that. It's quite, it's something quite extraordinary. Democracy was being thought clearly by a majority of Germans to have failed the test because of the economic downturn and the way the country was going. And the idea that these politicians were just talking and talking and, and not doing anything, whereas Hitler was going to be the strong man who was going to take Germany out of this and destroy democracy and establish this kind of brotherhood of all true Germans who are going to be able to fight against the forces that had driven them to this point. And within the context of that, yes, the Jews were, the Jews were still very much seen by the Nazis as, as, a, as a threat and a problem, but he's not going out and overtly camp campaigning on that at every single campaign stop, no. And so did the Jews suffer then from the moment that Hitler took power in 1933? Yes, 
absolutely. Although, once again, as I say, I've met individual Jews who at that moment didn't foresee this happening. They thought that actually Hitler wasn't going to last very long as as chancellor. They'd seen chancellors come, chancellors go. I met this other chap who was a member of the Communist Party who thought, well, they'll, they'll, they'll make a mess of it and then it'll be our turn. So there isn't the sense in some quarters at any rate, there isn't the sense that this is a permanent going to be a permanent revolution people couldn't are not, not sure how much you could stand there and look ahead and know what's going to come but yes of course absolutely jews are going to jews are suffering from that moment although it's significant that the concentration camps concentration camps are there from very early days dachau for instance outside munich opens in 1933 but primarily it's a place for political opponents of the nazis to be kept these are not the death camps. The UFC, these are not the death camps of the Holocaust that are going to happen later. Some of the people sent to Dachau were killed, number who were mur- murdered there, but the majority of people who were sent to a place like Dachau did survive it and did get released over time. Some of them were Jews, absolutely, but it's not a, it's not a prime focus on Jews. The prime attack on Jews is to do with campaigns not to buy from Jewish shops, 1935, you have the Nuremberg Laws. Jews are forbidden from marrying non-Jews. Jews are denied citizenship. So there's this there's this continual movement of exclusion and persecution via denial of rights that you see. Although again, you see, I've met I met German Jews who post the 1935 Nuremberg Laws thought, well, that that's not a bad thing in the sense that it what it's done is quantify it's made legal now we know where we stand it's made legal we can do this we can't do that that's going to stop this arbitrary terror because there were cases of that where stormtroopers would just lose it and start attacking jews but maybe now they thought this is going to be a firm you know we we can see a way forward and again it's heartbreaking when you hear this kind of thing because of course they couldn't know necessarily what was going to happen equally large numbers of jews were leaving germany but it's quite a thing isn't it to uproot yourself when you think oh maybe maybe it'll settle down maybe it'll it'll maybe it'll be okay and then of course by the time 1938 comes along just before the outbreak of war you have the Kristallnacht the night of broken glass which is this terrible attack on Jews of over one night and early morning when thousands were taken off to concentration camps and and a number of Jews died but still this isn't the holocaust as we know it that's going to emerge during the second world war and just one more question. What was the international response then when Hitler did take office and obviously actually started enacting these policies of of racism and violence against the Jews? It varied. It absolutely varied. And it's interesting, in 1933, soon after Hitler comes to power, they organise a one-day boycott of Jewish shops. And that is done in Germany. And that is done, as they see it, in response to foreign groups who are calling for action against the Nazis over their attitude towards the Jews. So that is going on, but there isn't concerted effort in the way that you might have hoped and might have imagined up until, in fact, 1938. 1938 is a very big year for this because you have the Anschluss, you have the Nazi movement into Austria. and, And again, what you can often see with the way that Nazi violence against Jews is going to happen, is that it happens in occupied countries or countries that are which are near Germany 
old German Reich proper. It's not that they're necessarily experimenting with this, but if you look at what happens in Vienna, Eichmann goes to Vienna and they organise way of trying to rob the Jews and expel them from Austria. Also in 1938, you have Franklin Roosevelt, who is concerned, I think, about Nazi anti-Jewish policy. And he he's instrumental in calling a conference at Evian, which is about, OK, what are we going to do about this? Do, are people prepared to take to take the Jews? And it's a it's a terrifying, really upsetting thing to read about, because what happens at Evian is essentially large numbers of countries go along to the conference and pay lip service to this, saying, yes, well, this is this is terrible, but actually don't agree to take large numbers of, of Jews. I mean, Britain, of course, is famous for taking a kinder transport of a, a number of transports of Jewish children. But nonetheless, this is a fraction of the number of Jews who were at risk. And the very failure of the international community to make concerted help is then thrown back in their face by the Nazis, who say, well, look, they're all hypocrites. Nobody cares. You see, that's just like we're saying. Nobody cares. Take our Jews. Nobody, you know, nobody cares. There's a sense in which nobody, there's no international response that is actually in a concerted way going forward to help. Well, it's a terribly distressing story and one that I know will get much, much worse once the war begins and the Holocaust starts but we will be discussing that in another podcast. Yep. yep. In the meantime, thanks very much. You're very welcome.